Holy Spirit, I, uh, we want your heart, your message. Lord, the word, the rhema word that you are speaking today, we prayed it in the prayer room, Lord. That God, we want to hear what is currently proceeding out of your mouth. You said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Lord, we live, our life is dependent on the words that are currently proceeding from your mouth. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to speak to our family, Lord. You're a good father. Lord, I just yield my heart and my mouth to you that your message would come in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to be careful. Some of this is what I was going to preach last week. But the Lord, um, in the prayer room, he, uh, he gave, I think it was Brenda, and there was some confirmations to this. He gave a vision about a, a clogged artery an artery that was full of uh, plaque and uh, also a vision of an arm and just the body parts. And it was really about the body of Christ and how the body is put together. Like if you look at the forearm, there's muscle and, and tendons and ligaments and blood vessels and capillaries and veins. And, you know, there's all this stuff and it works so perfectly and fits so perfectly together. And when it's working, it's working perfectly. But if you were to tear something out of that, it messes everything up. And so it was really, you know, the Lord just speaking about just the body of Christ and, and the health of the body, the health of us together, relationships, but also the health of us individually. And um, then that vision of clogged arteries came and we just were started praying into that. And uh, we really felt like the Lord was saying that the blood was not getting to places that it needed to get. So the blood is, it's obviously, it's Jesus. And life is in the blood. And the blood brings nutrients. It brings oxygen. And when blood does not get to a body part, that body part begins to die. It doesn't begin to die instantly. But it slowly dies until the point that it actually has to be cut off. And so I feel like the word for today, and, and we're going to have to, I'm going to have to be careful. The Lord wants to set us free from condemnation, but this message could actually bring some condemnation. Uh, hopefully it won't, uh, if I'm careful, uh, and if we get the heart of it. But the Lord, there is blood currently. There is life that Jesus is giving that is not getting where it needs to go. And that's in every one of our lives, possibly. Some place in our soul that we are unaware that the blood is not getting there. How do arteries get blocked? What do they get blocked with? Plaque, I guess. I don't, I don't think it's the same plaque on your teeth, but it's plaque, right? One comes from an unhealthy diet, but science also, we know that our attitudes have a lot to do with it. Scripture says that in the latter days, men's hearts will fail because of fear. And do you know what's amazing? Doctors have figured out that when we're fearful, our brain registers fear, 
Our hypothalamus just takes the messages that our brain is sending. Our hypothalamus doesn't interpret, well, that's ridiculous. Well, that's silly. I'm not listening to that. It doesn't do that. It just receives the message, there is danger. And when there is danger, it releases, it tells the other organs in the body to release certain chemicals to, for fight or flight, for an extreme. And so we literally get a chemical imbalance to help us fight or flight. But what happens if we're living in a low-level state of fear all the time? Well, our, our hypothalamus doesn't know the difference. Hypothalamus doesn't know that it's unreasonable fear. A hypothalamus doesn't know that we shouldn't have fear of man, so I'm not going to listen to that message of anxiety. The hypothalamus just receives what our brain is saying. And if our brain is registering fear, registering anxiety, anxiety is fear. So if you're anxious, you are fearful. You may not realize what you're fearful about, but you are fearful. I am fearful when I'm being anxious. And the hypothalamus just says, oh, there's something to be afraid about. I don't know what it is, but there is. So it releases a low level of all these same chemicals. And when those chemicals are in our body year after year after year, month after month after month, it causes negative side effects to happen in our body. And it actually causes diseases. Scientists and doctors have figured out that 85 to 90% of all disease is starts in in our thinking it's all in our thinking it's not that we have imaginary diseases it's that it started with negative messages and those negative messages told our hypothalamus what chemicals to release and it releases it and after a while you end up getting all kinds of things carpal tunnel and arthritis and hardened arteries and all kinds of things there's actually quite a bit in scripture that that correlates our inner thought life and, and what's going on with our heart, with our physical body, with our physical body. Laughter does good like a medicine. Laughter is health to the body. Actually, bitterness is a rottenness to the bones. Interesting. There's, there's lots of ways that, that our mental attitude and our perspective affects our physical body. So this is what I believe the Lord's talking about. He could be talking about, hey, there's physical stuff going on. I was going to talk about healing today. There's a, a verse in 3 John chapter 2. It's the Apostle John writing, and he says, Beloved, I pray that you will prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. 1 John 3, 2. So I want you, my will for you, my heart for you is that you would prosper, that you would be in good health, physically healthy, just as your soul prospers. He was assuming that we had a prosperous soul. So I was going to talk about healing, but I think the Lord wants to do some emotional healing this morning. So, what are some of the things that are blocking maybe our physical arteries? It's not just all diet. Some of it is, but a lot of it is attitude. But what is going on that is blocking our spiritual arteries? Individually, where is the life of Jesus Christ? What areas of my life 
is the blood, is that life not getting to. But also corporately, in this body, right? In this body, how, where are the blockages of life between me and you, and you and whoever else, and your neighbor? This certainly applies to father-son relationships, mother-daughter relationships, uh, marriages, husband-wife relationships. This applies to everybody. So here's one, one of the ways I want to look at this. I'm reading with, uh, through Isaiah with, with my little boys. and Sorry, Samuel. I said Isaiah. Samuel. So reading through Samuel... And just looking at the story of Saul, and there's only a couple chapters, really, of Saul's kind of reign, and then it's a whole bunch of chapters of Saul trying to kill David. But did you know that Saul reigned just as long as David did? David reigned for 40 years, and Saul reigned for 40. Some translations say 42 years. He was king for 42 years. But it seemed quite early on the Lord was very displeased with Saul. And... Uh, so I want to look at, at this scripture, but uh, Saul, the first mistake that he made, the first big mistake that he made was uh, he was waiting for Saul. Saul said, hey, I'm going to come, you know, I'll meet you in this place and I'll do the sacrifice and then you're going to go out to battle. So wait for me. And Samuel waited or Saul waited and waited and Samuel was late. He didn't come when he said he was going to come. And people started leaving the battle. They started leaving Saul. And he started going, uh-oh, this is a problem. So he decided, I'm going to sacrifice. I'll just do the sacrifice. And then as soon as he starts slaughtering the animals, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 13. As soon as he starts slaughtering the animals, here comes Samuel. And he says, what are you doing? So... With that being said, God told Samuel, I'm done. I'm going to find my own king, a king after my own heart. And he found David. And David got anointed. Well, David, if you remember in the story of David and Bathsheba, David was on his roof one day, saw some naked lady taking a bath, just said, she's hot, I want her. He took her. Most likely raped her. She probably gave in because he's the king, but it's most likely rape. Then uh, she got pregnant, and he decided to have her husband murdered to cover it up and concocted this plan to murder uh, her husband. He gets murdered. Then he thinks, okay, sweet. It's all covered up. Now I can marry Bathsheba. And then Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David. David didn't lose the kingdom over rape and adultery and murder and covering up murder. But Saul lost the kingdom over sacrificing an animal. That made me go, wow. That doesn't seem, uh, the scales don't seem so balanced there, right? I don't know about you, does that seem right to you? You're probably doing the same thing that I was doing. Is like running in your memory. Okay, there's something more going on here. Why would God allow that? There's, there's something else. So I want to propose that Saul had a disease 
it was much more dangerous than David's disease. Much more dangerous. David did have a, a temporary failure. He eventually owned up to it. But I just want to look at this real quick. This is in 1 Samuel 13. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 8. I'll just read a little bit. This is speaking of Saul. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. If Saul didn't have this problem, we wouldn't be talking about David. We wouldn't be talking about Jesus as the son of David. We'd be talking about Jesus as the son of Saul. And Saul being the hero. And someone on the family line of Saul never ceasing to be on the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever. That's profound. So what happened uh, with Saul? Why was Saul's disease so much worse than David's? Well, it was this, that he did not take responsibility. And he pointed the finger at other people. When Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, the people were scattering from me and you were late. The people were leaving me and you were late. It wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. I had, I had no other recourse. Look at what everyone else around me was doing. In uh, 1 Samuel 15, we get another glimpse of this, uh, starting in verse 14. Uh, Saul, Samuel had told Saul, God, through Samuel, told Saul, I want you to wipe this people group out. Kill this king, kill every man, woman, child, animal, wipe them off the face of the planet. And they defeated them, and what ended up happening? Saul spared the king's life, took him captive, and he let everyone take all the sheep and all the oxen and, you know, the women as wives and all these things. He did not obey the Lord again. So that's the context. Samuel said, uh, basically, hey, Saul, you haven't done the will of God. And, oh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. And so Samuel replies, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? He was supposed to kill every animal. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. It wasn't him, it was the people around him did it. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. 
And the rest we've devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Stop making excuses. Like, wow. Pretty harsh. But this is what disqualified Saul from being king, is he wouldn't take responsibility. David did. David's heart was completely different than Samuel's. So why is that so dangerous? Why is taking responsibility, um, why is blame shifting, why is self-justification so dangerous? Well, for a lot of reasons. Um, when, we, when we feel exposed, okay, when we don't own up to our own insecurities, when we don't come before God and bear our heart and say, Lord, I am jealous, I am insecure, I am afraid, when we're not totally honest and when we don't own up to our own stuff, what happens is we need to find a reason. We need to find a reason why we're not that bad. And every time we look for a reason that we're not that bad, we have to look outside of ourselves at other people. And we have to begin maximizing other people's sin and minimizing our own. We have to start maximizing our own self-importance and minimizing the importance of other people. We need to minimize our own failure and maximize the failure of other people. That's what we have to do. To feel self-justified, we have to have judgment. We have to have bitterness. And as much as we may hate to be jealous and insecure and bitter, we need other people to fail around us so that we feel justified. That's what denial feeds on justification. Denial feeds on self-justification. And I think the Lord, he wants to free us from this stuff. The answer is to believe him. The answer is to have childlike faith, to just believe that he loves us. And, but when we refuse, like, like Saul, when we don't deal with our identity issues, the only thing that can happen is self-justification and self-protection. And that involves finger-pointing, that involves judgment, that involves bitterness. And even more than that, what it causes in us is we have a skewed sense of reality. We do not see reality as it is because my needs are now more important than your needs. My feelings are more important than your feelings. And let's just, let's just take this, you know, add some practicality to this. An example. When you're driving down the road, I'm guilty. I hate when you're driving on a freeway and there's two lanes and two people are driving right next to each other and they're going the same exact speed. Does anybody else, does that drive you nuts? Like, I want to take out a gun and shoot out all their tires and go, dude, how selfish can you be? How self-centered can you be? How unaware can you be, right? What is the left lane for? Passing, right? I hate it. Drives me crazy. Because I just go, man, self-centeredness right there. Selfishness right there. They're in their own little bubble, and they don't care what's happening behind them. 
They're driving the same speed as the car next to them, and they don't care. They're living in their own world. Well, we drive around with lots of inconsiderate drivers, and we easily pass judgment on the people around us, in the cars around us. I'm guilty all the time. I look through the window, what is, oh, he's on his phone, oh, she's texting, oh, they're not, they're not paying attention to their green light, you know, we're judging all the time. But the reality is, I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know if they just got a text that, that something bad just happened. I don't know that, that, you know, some guy's on his phone and he's in the middle of a divorce with his wife and he's distraught and I don't know what's going on that he's not thinking about me and my needs. But in that moment, my needs are more important than his needs and her needs. So what happens? I justify my attitude with judgment. I justify my attitude with bitterness, with complaining, with all kinds of other stuff. That's just in the car. That's just in the car. Now let's, let's go home and talk about our relationship with our kids and our wives and all the self-justifications and how important my needs are. My needs are the most important in the house. Aren't yours? Yep. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. You're a man after God's own heart. There's a, he's a David, I'm a David, the rest of you are Saul's. We end up, we end up with a fault view of reality. And we end up when we won't face our own identity issues. Our only recourse is self-justification. And self-justification needs other people's failure. You need to hear that. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. What does that mean? That partly means that you and me, with our self-justifying attitudes of denial and self-importance, are actually inviting and creating negative behavior around us. We actually need it. I don't know if you've ever been, maybe I'm the only sinner in the room, but I don't know if you've ever like really been upset with somebody and they're really annoying you and really getting on your nerves and you've gossiped about them to somebody else. Well, I don't mean gossip. I mean like asked other people to pray for them, you know, in the situation, not gossip. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> right. But, but. A bunch of people can observe that person's negative behavior, right? Everyone seems to be aware of their fault except them. But everyone else around it can see it. And so you end up with this judgment towards this person, and you're talking to somebody and going, they always are this and that and the other thing. And then, and then next time you're together with that person, you're both in on the secret, and you're just waiting for them to do that annoying thing. Like, you just know it's going to happen, and when it happens, you're going to each kind of give each other a little wink-wink and a side smirk so they don't notice, but you both noticed that they did the thing that everyone knows they shouldn't be doing. Anyone, ever, anyone tracking? Anyone been there? Okay. 
right? And then they don't do that annoying thing. They don't do it. And you're disappointed. Like, uh, 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 uh. now what? <laughs> they didn't do the thing. They weren't annoying. They didn't fulfill the judgments that I made about them. And we actually get disappointed. I'm trying to make an example because I know I'm guilty of this. I've been guilty of this. That I actually get disappointed when someone is righteous instead of acting out their bad behavior that I've judged them for, that I've convinced that's who they are. How twisted is that? How twisted is that? We, yeah, we are. A lot of us are. We actually get disappointed when people do the right thing, when they're healthy. Self-justification and self-denial creates a wrong reality in our mindset. We do not view the world accurately. That's one very big problem. Especially the more people you're leading, the bigger the problem becomes. We've, we've, we, we've got to get cleansed from that. We've got to get healed from that. But then we have to point fingers. We have to point fingers. We have to judge and we have to be bitter. And what happens when our hearts are full of judgment and full of bitterness? It's spiritual plaque. And it actually makes physical plaque. It actually does physically negative things to our body. The Lord wants us, one, to be physically healed, but two, even more important than that, He wants us walking in divine health. Walking in divine health. See, the, the, the wilderness, sometimes we have wilderness seasons, and we need God to provide manna for us, right? That's miracles. He's doing something for us that we can't do for ourselves, but He doesn't want us to live there. Because if we're always living in a state of needing a miracle, then we're always in a state of spiritual poverty. And the Lord's goal for us, His destiny for us, is the promised land where there's sowing and reaping and stewardship. Where our provision comes from us understanding how the Lord works. And we still may need a miracle every once in a while. But God doesn't want us living in a state where we constantly have to have miracles. And unfortunately, I think because, one, we are getting poisoned. We are. Poison in the air, poison in vaccines, poison in our food. We are allowed to eat unhealthy things that European governments have absolutely banned and outlawed. So that should tell you something. We do need to watch what we're consuming physically but more than that, even, is we have to be cleansed in our souls. We have blockages that the life of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, is not getting to in our own life, but in relationships. Unforgiveness is a huge one. Unforgiveness is a really big one. Anger, judgment, all those things. I just want to look at just a couple of David's attitudes and, and we'll pray. Actually, one of the reasons that I was preaching this message isn't just because I read this, but I actually had a dream um, 
It's probably a week ago, week and a half ago, and I don't dream a lot. You know, I just, I sleep, and I wake up, and I don't remember anything. I uh, just remember snoring. Um, but when I have dreams, you know, it's rare. Casey dreams like crazy. Almost every night she remembers her dreams. I rarely do. But in my dream, I was with a bunch of people that I knew very well. Um, they were my friends. And uh, I knew they were church members, but it wasn't anybody's faces. I didn't actually recognize anybody. But I knew these are my really close friends, and I trust them with all my heart. But some people had gotten bit by other people. And it was like kind of a Dracula situation, you know? You get bit by a vampire, and now you need to feed off blood. And you may not want to suck someone else's blood, but this urge overcomes you, and you just can't help it. It was like that kind of situation, you know? They weren't growing fangs, but uh, we knew there's people getting bit. And we don't know who's gotten bit and who hasn't gotten bit. And even the people that got bit, they loved their friends, and they wouldn't ever purposely chew on them or feed on them or bite them, but they kind of can't help themselves. And so literally that was my dream. I was sitting there going, man, I don't know who to trust. I don't know who to trust. And I woke up and I was like, Lord, what is that about? That is the weirdest dream ever. But I had been meditating on these passages and, and about Saul and reading a book, a business book, actually, but it's partly about this very thing, is that we actually need denial feeds off of self-justification. And in order for us to be self-justified, I need you to disappoint me. I need you to fail me. I need you to behave badly so that I feel better about myself. What did, when Adam sinned, God said, Adam, where are you? Right, he was hiding. Who did Adam blame? He didn't take responsibility. He, it, was the, it was the woman you gave me. <laughs> it was her fault and your fault, definitely not mine. I'm not in the woods naked hiding from you, God, because of me. It was the woman, and it was you, actually. What happened when God confronts the woman? It was a snake. He did it. Pointing at everyone else but ourselves. You might want to write this down. It's profound. The problem with your problem is that you're the problem. The problem with the problem is that you're the problem. The problem with my problem is I'm the problem. I've said this before, but my Baptist pastor used to say this, and I, I understood it a little, but not to the extent that I understand it now. He taught a marriage class called Marriage Builder, and he said, there is nothing wrong with your spouse that God can't fix in you. There's nothing wrong with your spouse that God can't fix in you. God can fix you from being annoyed. He can. If you think about Jesus, he never ever said, well, I'm sinning because. 
you're sinning against me. He would never say that, right? He never did say that. He never sinned. Even though everyone around him was sinning, everyone around him was sinners behaving badly around him, he was able to look at everyone with childlike eyes, with love, without judgment in his heart, but he could accurately look at somebody and point out their problem without judging them. He saw the world accurately because he knew who he was. One of my favorite scriptures is in John chapter 13. When Jesus at the Last Supper, he's going to, you know, the Last Supper and he girds himself with a towel. He takes off his outer garment. He girds himself with a towel. And he starts washing his disciples' feet. And it says, because Jesus knew who he was, knew where he came from, and knew that he was going to the Father. He was able to take on the lowest position of the poop foot washer. It was the lowest position that a servant could have, is washing the poopy feet. And John went out of his way to write, Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, was able to go and stoop down to his sinful prideful, rebellious, bickering with each other, competing disciples, and wash the poop off their feet. John wanted us to know, how could Jesus do that? And it says, because he knew where he came from. He knew that all things were given into his hands, and he knew that he was going back to the Father. We shouldn't be afraid to take on any position, to do any role. This is one of the things that impressed me most about Jesus, that he was comfortable around the wealthy, he was comfortable around the influential, and he was comfortable around the prostitutes and the sinners and the drug dealers, and he was comfortable around everybody because he knew who he was. Saul did not know who he was. He did not know who he was. He was very insecure and had fear of man. And because of it, he had a skewed sense of reality and he blamed everyone else for his problems but him. That's an unteachable position. All that can happen is confrontation or removal from king, removal from position. Pain is the only remedy. God loves us. He loves us. And we're his kids. When I was praying about this message last week, I just I saw a room full of little kids. Like I don't know what age you're at when you're like aware that I'm my own human being 
You know, me and my mom are different human beings now. I'm my own human being, but they're not old enough to have made judgments against other people. They trust everybody. Like, I don't know, is that one and a half years old? Maybe two years old? I don't know. I'm my own person, but I also have no judgments against other people, and I don't have fears, right? You watch a one-and-a-half-year-old wake up in the morning, and it's just like, what's going to happen today? Any, the world is open before me. I can do anything. I'm free. It's discovery time, right? They have no burdens. They have no weight. They have no bitterness. They have no judgment. They have no jealousy. They have no competition. They're not striving to prove themselves to somebody else. They're not fearful of not eating that day. They're, they are absolutely free in their hearts. And Jesus took a little kid and said, unless you become like one of these, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? Peace and joy pleasure evermore. We read Psalm 32 this morning in the prayer room. The delight of the Lord is in his presence. He has freedom for us. He has joy and peace and innocence, discovery. He has all that. But those things can't exist in a heart that is in denial self-seeking, self-centered, trying to self-protect, judgment, bitterness to justify I'm not that bad. It, it's bondage. So what Casey was talking about, I'm not saying she was guilty of these things, but she had a very negative self-image. And she's like, God, set me free. I keep getting attacked, and she saw a cage, and the door was open, and she was sitting there just feeding lions over and over and over. She was feeding them with her negativity. The Lord wants to cleanse our spiritual arteries. He wants to cleanse our spiritual arteries. He wants to set us free of these things that are actually poisoning our own soul. But part of what, actually, it's ironic that I read, not ironic, I think it's the Lord, Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. It said, Isaiah says, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips, amongst the people of unclean lips. We actually have to face our biggest fears in the Christian life. There's just no other way around it. We have to own up to them. We have to confess them. We have to admit them. We have to bring them to the Lord so he can put them to death and say, that's not the real you. But as long as we're hiding them, protecting them, putting masks on them, putting a pretty dress on them, putting lipstick on our pigs, the Lord can't take them and give us that divine exchange that he wants to give. It really is an identity issue, and it really is a, a, a believing issue. But the freedom, the freedom that comes from embracing that death. Let's just look um, 
Oh, I said I was going to quit. I should quit. <laughs> Saul could have killed David. Or David could have killed Saul in the cave. And he wouldn't do it. He said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. We have the opportunity all the time to murder with our tongue. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. We have the opportunity to murder with our tongue. And we often do. We shoot each other with words, especially husbands and wives. But David said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Absalom, his own son, went behind his back and took over the kingdom. And David, instead of killing him, instead of starting a civil war, he actually said, let's go. The Lord wants me to be king. He'll make me king again. And he walked out of Jerusalem, weeping and crying. And the priest said, oh, we better get the ark. And they brought the ark and brought it to David. And he said, no, go put it back in the temple. If God wants to raise me up, he'll raise me up. He didn't, he didn't accuse Absalom. He didn't rebel against Absalom. I'll just point out this last thing, and I promise I will quit. You ever notice Psalm 1? Psalm 1's amazing, right? How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the seat of sinners. He'll be a tree planted by the waters whose leaf never withers, right? It's like, oh, beautiful, awesome. Psalm 2, why are the nations rebelling against the king? Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. It's like, yeah, exalting Jesus. First Psalm about righteousness. And if you're right with God, you're going to be fruitful. And the second one, Jesus is the king of the earth. And he sits in the heavens and he laughs. And all rebellion against Jesus is fruitless. Like, yeah, Psalm 3. What's Psalm 3? When David fled from Absalom, his son. Like it, wow. It's almost like the Lord is saying, hey guys, Psalm 1, really important. Psalm 2, really important. Betrayal and how you deal with it, really important. Disappointment and how you deal with it, really important. Really important. So I just want to encourage you, read that. All right, I don't know how we're going to do this, but would you stand with me? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for your word in the prayer room. Lord, we thank you that your heart is to heal. You don't want us dying of heart attacks. Lord, you don't want us dying of spiritual heart attacks. You don't want body parts getting blood flow cut off, and so we have to cut off the body part. Lord, you don't want relationships cut off. You want life in your body, fullness of life in your body. So, Lord, we ask you, we need your help. We can't see our spiritual arteries. We can't see where they're clogged. We can't see where we're beginning to have a problem. 
We can't see, Lord, all the places where your life is not flowing. But, Lord, you see it perfectly. And your heart is to prevent. Your heart is to heal. So, Father, give us a heart after David, who said in Psalm 139, Search me and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Search us, Lord. Show us the wickedness, any wickedness in our own heart, Lord. And heal us, cleanse us. I just want to invite you, if you feel like you need to do some business with the Lord, just to come up and maybe you can kneel on the floor or something. But I just want to give you some, some time here before we get busy. and I just want to give you some time to process anything with the Lord. And we just want to pray with you. This message applies for everybody. But the Lord, He wants to give you a childlike heart. He wants to restore your innocence back to you. He wants to give you a revelation of His love. Because He sees you as perfect and holy and righteous and His beautiful, innocent little kid. That's how He sees you. So if you want to do some business with the Lord, just come on up. Thank you, Jesus. It's always the first brave soul that breaks the ice and breaks down the wall. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. 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 We just thank you, Lord, for a spirit of cleansing. Lord, for a spirit of burning. Lord, that you... Uh, Lord, your ministry is one that separates the wheat from the chaff. It burns away the dross. Lord, you are a cleansing spirit, Holy Spirit. So we just thank you that right now, Lord, you're just washing us clean. God, you're just rinsing us of, uh, Lord, just all our defense mechanisms that just hurt us and hurt others. Lord, thank you that you are filling us with a fresh, revelation of your love, a fresh impartation of acceptance. Can I get some of the leadership team, maybe some of the home group leaders? Liam, you've been getting a downloads from the Father of his love. Would you just come up and minister to these guys? Just lay hands on them. If you feel led to lay hands on anybody up here, I just want to encourage you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you that your heart is for us to keep the kingdom. You don't, wanna, you don't want us to be like Saul, that the kingdom gets removed from us. Lord, you want us to keep the kingdom. You want us to thrive in your kingdom. You want us to have the abundance and the fullness of everything that comes in your kingdom. Love and peace and joy, confidence assurance thank you lord thank you father thank you holy spirit come and just do a uh, spiritual roto rooter would you do me a favor as well if you have any heart problems 
any circulatory issues, any issues with your veins or uh, circulation, would you just come up and let us pray for you? The Lord wants to do a physical work today as well. He wants to do a physical work. Yeah, blood pressure, any kind of circulatory thing. Anything with the blood, that includes diabetes. Anything with the blood and the circulation. Ha, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are Jehovah Rapha. You gave yourself that name. It is your nature. It is your character. Lord, you do not change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are our healer. So, Lord, we just release healing in Jesus' name over all blood issues, circulatory issues, anything with the veins or capillaries or arteries in Jesus' name, blood pressure, normalize in Jesus' name, diabetes. We curse you in Jesus' name. We just bless the physical blood of everyone in this room that it would be healthy that it would be healthy, that it would receive oxygen, that it would take oxygen everywhere it needs to go, that all the red blood cells would work, all the white blood cells would work. Thank you for blood flowing, Lord. That's your heart, Lord. Life, life, life coursing through our physical veins, life coursing through our spiritual veins, life coursing through our souls. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for healthy bodies and healthy hearts, healthy souls, healthy souls, healthy souls, healthy souls. And Father, we do ask for that spirit of adoption, for that spirit of adoption to come and just take residence in our heart. Lord, just hook our heart, captivate our heart. That we would not be able to even unconvince ourselves that we're sons and daughters, that we're beloved, that we're the most valuable thing in the universe. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your kindness, God. Thank you for your love. I just want to remind everyone in the room right now that when the Lord looks at you, He loves you. He loves you. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your failure. He knows them, but he's forgotten them a long time ago. He sees you as a success. He sees you as capable. He sees you as everything listed in 1 Corinthians 13. Loving and patient and kind. Generous. He sees you as his innocent child. Full of potential, <laughs> not having to defend yourself. You are valuable. You are priceless to Him. You are priceless to Him. You are priceless to Him. He loves you with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. He has set His affection on you. You make him smile. 
You fill his heart with pride. He turns to his angels. He says, that's my little boy right there. That's my daughter right there. Look at her. Isn't she awesome? Ha, <laughs> ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for freedom, God. The Lord's going to do a cleansing work this week. I can just see it. I see it. I see it. I can't describe it, but I see it. I see his blood flowing in new areas of your life and a fresh freedom coming to you. A fresh freedom coming to you. Lord, we just say yes to that freedom. We thank you that that's your heart. That's your heart. Fresh freedom. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Lord. He sees you right next to him, seated in Jesus, far above principalities and powers and problems. He's got you in his arms. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Turn to your neighbor to tell him the Lord loves you. Turn to another neighbor tell him you are awesome. <laughs> ah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How freeing it is to just look at the world and just see a bunch of little kids, you know? Just so freeing. So freeing. <laughs>